Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, it's Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. Well, seeing as we're friends now, I don't have any real compunction admitting that I arrived at the Jodie Morris interview with Redrim Dyes um, from Tears. We'd been driving down to Cobham when we heard that Johan Cruyff had died. It was a shock. Not only had I been interviewing him recently, but he'd said he was nearly cured, and then he was gone. Jody, I was interested in talking to because he knew what the ball was for. You could say that, although he'd never met him, and we talked about him a lot, he was a disciple of everything that Johan Cruyff stood for, and he was nearly as upset as me. And that meant that we were on an even ground before we started talking football. The thing that had attracted us to Jody, and I hope that you enjoy listening to, was that when he first encountered Chavi. He asphyxiated him from a Champions League game in 2000 at Stamford Bridge where Pep Guardiola was injured and Chelsea won 3-1 in a blitzkrieg of a performance. Three goals in seven minutes. By the second leg, it was the Manchester City manager to come that Jody Morris was up against Pep Guardiola and he managed just as good a job playing against the ultimate of Cruyff's disciples and pupils. But the team didn't and they lost 5-1 and they went out. Jody's career, having started in a training ground that couldn't have been more polemically different from the Cobham, where he now trains Chelsea's youths, Jody's career went wrong, and he'll talk about that and explain why. And it wasn't to do with naked yoga with Luca Viali, although that did put him off his stride for a month or two, and I guess you can understand why. He was taught by Hula, he was taught by Hoddle. He knows what space is, he knows what vision is. He likes to talk about having rear-view mirrors attached to his head because he was a terrific player. His career went wrong because of choices, because of reputation, but he never lost his ability to play football. And what's transpired is that he's got a fantastic ability to teach football. All of us, Martin, Neil and I, when we talked to Jody at length, felt that Chelsea's youngsters and maybe youngsters to come for the England team are in the hands of somebody who will help them become a hybrid of what Spain has, technically intelligent, brave, creative, able to manage games, and what Britain has always had, hard, warrior-like, 
but not inept strategically. We talked to a disciple of the beautiful game. We enjoyed it hugely. I really think you will too. Listen on. The epic that I remember that I wanted that I've been desperate to bring up is features Chavi and features Pep, because at that stage I'm reporting a lot on Chelsea and you. You've had one hell of a Champions League campaign. Luca really trusts you. You're playing a lot. You've played yeah. a huge amount of Champions League football in 1999, 2000. Yeah. And um, you've dealt with Milan, which is a player of your ilk. Dealing with Milan, no big deal. Lazio, come and win at the bridge, but you draw Barcelona. Yeah. And it's Louis van Gaal. It's funny how these names keep cropping up, but Louis van Gaal's Barcelona. And if I remember it correctly, I mean, it's a blitzkrieg game where Chelsea rip into a sort of fairly ragged bus on who could really, really play and were full of stars, didn't dominate the ball, I don't think, as much as they do now. And if I am correct, you sacrifice almost all of the things that make you exceptional, use of the ball and time on the ball and what you might change the direction of a game, to swallow up Xavi Hernandez. Yeah, it was kind of a, a weird one because it wasn't meant to be Xavi. We thought it was Guardiola, um, but he pulled out injured or something. But we, Luca felt that he was going to be fit. So anyway, when the team was announced, it was obviously I was playing. To be honest, I wasn't too surprised. As I said, I felt I deserved it the way I'd played in the league and stuff like that. But the fact that it's Barcelona, you do have to kind of pinch yourself on that. Their, their front three was Rivaldo, Cliver, and Figo. So yeah, outstanding. And I'd never heard of Xavi at the time. But he pulled me to one side and said, look, it's not going to be Guardiola, but the person that's playing instead of him is going to be just as good. It was like he went, I don't know whether he knew that at the time or whether he was just trying to keep me in. You need to prepare for this guy like he's Guardiola. So like to keep me in it. But I was like, yeah, I haven't heard. He went, no, he's a Spanish under 21 international. He's class. He does exactly the same things and you need to play all the build-up the two days going into the game you need to play exactly the same and so obviously there's one part of me because I always loved Guardiola as I said the Barcelona teams that I remember watching I I always remember Baquero little midfielder one touches and all that but then Guardiola was a bit after it and I'm like I would have loved to have played against Guardiola but you're then thinking right who's this Xavi fella yeah (laughs) little do you know he's probably surpassed Guardiola as, as a player but yeah I remember playing I had to do a man-to-man marking job. It was literally wherever I am when we lose the ball, it was still fine on it, but wherever I am when we lose the ball, I need to just attach myself to Xavi. And he didn't play much that night, so I suppose that it's, it was good on my point. It was a little bit weird for me. As I said, I wasn't used to playing. I've never, ever done a man-to-man marking role in my life, but I think Luca had trusted me as far as that I would do it. I would think of the team more than I would think about my own game. I, think. I love that. And yeah, as I said, it, it was on a night where the lads done great as a, as a team and to beat Barcelona 3-1 at home for a team that's first time in the Champions League, it was a special night. My favourite London cabbie, hello Pat, Pat Moriarty, was talking recently about having been at a corporate with uh, Jermaine Genus talking about when he'd been asked by Bobby Robson for Newcastle yeah. to try and do what you did for Chelsea against Barcelona and Jermaine answered, who's the most difficult player you ever played against? And he said, Xavi Hernandez. And the, whoever was asking him the, the question said, and, uh, did you see much of the ball? And Jermaine said, I think I touched it three times all yeah. night in the game. And that was a different Xavi Hernandez. But let's just take a little tour of it. You, you've gone on to admire what he's done as a, as a leader, as a sport. You, you'd pay to watch him. However good you've been as a sportsman or footballer, yeah. you've done your career, 
You'd, you'd pay a ticket to go and watch Xavi Hernandez anywhere, yeah. anywhere right? All, all day. For me, one of the greatest ever midfielders. Not just because he's part of the small man club, but at the same time, like, listen, the team that I've, I've watched Barcelona over the last 10, 12 years, for me, is obviously there's little changes into managers and whatever, but the team when Xavi was in the, in the thick of it, in the middle of midfield, I think it's the best team football team I've ever seen. And to see how he would just command the ball wherever he was he would get himself out of bother he would control the tempo he would open up teams when especially at Barcelona when you've got 10 players behind the ball camped yeah. on the edge of their box he, he would have every club in the bag to open them up but to play with all the top superstars continuously and the amount of games he played for Spain and what was it the World Cup that they won first Spain oh, that, I thought in that World Cup I thought it was outrageous it was extraordinary wasn't it it was outrageous he was the, the night you marked him out of the game as a youngster, admittedly, but similar age to you. Yeah, he was playing centre midfield, what they call the pivote for Barcelona. Yeah. He was because he stood in the number four position, Pep's position. Yeah. When Frank Rijkaard, because I spent um, several days out in Qatar recently, going back over his career for a film, and he talked about like you know he booed on at the pitch when he was substituting Guardiola. He said, it's, it's, with an ironic tone, it's funny, isn't it? You know, now I'm the, the great departed hero and everybody loves me. And his words, I hate the phrase. He said, I was the cancer in the club, according to everybody before. I don't know if you, you probably... I never knew that. You didn't, probably didn't buy El Mundo Deportivo the day after the Stamford Bridge game. Really? But the columnist said, um, this game showed why uh, Xavi is, is not even half of Guardiola and he was useless. And it's another example of why he's not going anywhere at the club. There's a columnist with this. Because really? you suffocated him at the club and they couldn't yeah. see. But when Frank Rijkaard in about 2004 5 said to him, I want you to play what we might call right midfield, they called in an interior, almost somewhere between a midfielder and an inside forward. Xavi was scared and said to Rijkaard, I don't think I've got that in my game. Yeah. And was intimidated by it and freely admits it himself. Really? Which, looking back on his career, is extraordinary yeah. to know. But have you been faced with challenges where somebody said to you, do this, do that, or... Something's come your way where it's felt intimidating or you haven't been sure if you've got that in your locker? No, I wouldn't say... My positioning was changed a little bit. And Rude sometimes used to play me in behind the striker. I, I never used to like that. I, as I said, I, I preferred to not be receiving long balls into me with the, my back to play. And you know, Did you like to see the game? Yeah, but not only that, I'd also think that in those areas at the top, unless you're passing it, properly and keeping it for good spells a lot of the time they're expecting the number 10 back then would be expected to run beyond strikers and get on the end of flick-ons and and I was like that was never my game so there was that side of it but it was never and Claudio and to be fair Luca at times as well they they played me on the side of a, a midfield four but it would be I think usually just to shore up have a more of a hard working midfield and maybe one winger on one side and then more of a midfielder still just slightly tucked in on the other and then maybe you had a fullback behind that side that was more adventurous and then would give you the width but I wouldn't say nothing really intimidated me in, in that way I mean I wasn't really one for getting nervous those type of games I remember going to the well I used to call it in the new Camp but since I've watched <laughs> since I've watched uh, Spanish football and that um I've changed there. Yeah. So I remember Some going bad to, but, bastard yeah. keeps insisting yeah. on calling it the camera. Yeah, so I've been, I, I remember going to Barcelona and places like that and, and just thinking, this is what I wanted to play fo- I wanted to play football for. This is what I, I, I wouldn't get nervous about. And I, I remember coming in after that game 
and obviously we lost 3-1 in normal time it was the second we lost 3-1 it went to extra time and then they beat they scored two against us in extra time and but playing against Guardiola there was more of a challenge to me one that I wasn't good enough to stop him playing because he absolutely controlled the game I felt Guardiola but at the same time where at Stamford Bridge it was easier for me because our team was doing well like do you know what I mean so it kind of shows you the the difference in team and individual uh, success is like did I do anything wrong at Barcelona no I was actually quite happy with how I played and I wanted to get on the ball and I felt that I, I showed when we're talking about people getting scared and up Ray Wilkins done a, spe- a speech at, not a speech but kind of got into the lads at half time a little bit and said that we needed to show more balls like for me some of the older boys international players kind of looked like they froze a little bit and I was kind of like thinking come on this is this is what I wanted to play for and that, that's not me saying that I've done great and all the rest of the lads done bad but it just showed you that I've played with players and I know what you mean I've played with players that you would see certain games affect them or you would see mistakes affect them I was lucky enough coming through at Chelsea where they have a certain affinity with homegrown players where you are most definitely allowed more mistakes than others and and it's something that will always stick with me as I said I, I don't want to keep using Millwall as a derogatory thing or but I've watched young lads make debuts at Millwall and being booed after 10 minutes whereas at Chelsea that that's unheard of I, I'd played many a bad game and mistake after mistake but as long as they saw you trying your hardest and wanted to do what was right they, they gave you a, a little bit of leeway as far as making mistakes so I didn't as I said as far as being intimidating and that I think it was more opposition that you kind of felt can I match up to this person I'm playing with and can I get the better of him well you were matching up to the new Manchester City manager and I was I was reporting on both games paying attention watching closely I, I'd been across to, to Barcelona a lot as a reporter I spent a lot of time with Bobby Robson who was very very good to me and I understood a little about their system and as a reporter who'd covered Chelsea a lot I was fascinated by and who liked Luca, and, and Luca was, was very good to me first Premier League manager to whom I could phone and ask things and, and that's yeah. That's an enormous privilege. So I was kind of rooting for Chelsea to some degree. If I watched your performance that night with a good eye, Pep Guardiola played further and further back because you were giving him not a lot of room and not a lot of space. I remember, I'm pretty sure, first half, he took you out about just above the knee in frustration. Yeah. I remember him moving the tempo a lot and the ball came through him. I mean, yeah. maybe even more than normal because Barcelona weren't fluent. They weren't releasing... Uh, Figo and Rivaldo just as much as they normally do I think he had probably had Koku and Gabri around him yeah, De Boer right. Puyol at the back yeah. poor keeper in Hesp yeah but, I mean yeah. he wasn't great over no, the two no, legs yeah, no. um, but for us today. <laughs> up front kind of quite tidy but up front I mean of the 5-1 as you said because if I remember correctly you'd played a big maybe even a cup tie 48 hours before played three games in, in five days yeah then you're at a camp now, maybe because people maybe think that football at Barcelona b- began with Pep Guardiola, the manager. Just try and describe to people, it was 100,000 that night. What's it like arriving and going, what's the atmosphere, what's the feeling? As you come down the stairs, a little chapel on your right. Yeah, well, it was, for me, it was when you turned up to the stadium, I was a little bit outside, a little bit disappointed, thinking, I swear it looks bigger on the telly. We trained in on the, the mini the mini Yeah, in the mini stadium, yeah, right About um, 500 metres away Yeah, yeah So when, when we actually turned up to the stadium I was thinking, oh, I don't know what it is It looks, looks bigger on the telly It doesn't look that big But then obviously you're not realising Obviously the pitch is below the level that we are arriving on the, at the stadium And 
it just showed it, it was class for me it was just like tradition just sunk in tradition and even when you're going down the tunnel and then you've got the chapel halfway down and you've got some of the boys having a little prayer and stuff and when you come out you, it's, that's when you see the enormity of the place it's packed but as I said it was even in the warm up I was getting not, I wouldn't say goosebumps but I was so, I, I was excited going oh, I just want the game to start the war, no footballer likes warm ups anyway like it's the most annoying thing in the world I no who idea. likes stretching and jogging about and I like <laughs> you like the warm up side of it is in yeah you can get to a little kick about but the yeah. warm ups nowadays are a lot more quick feet and blah, blah, get ready which is fine listen don't they're organised drills yeah, now yeah, you, yeah you've got to do that side yeah, of it yeah, but yeah. I just wanted the game to start it was kind of like let's go oh this is brilliant the pitch pitch was at this this was at a time at Stanford Bridge when the pitch was uh, not like it is now yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah I just wanted a Sort of the, as I said, the game to start and the atmosphere, the the noise and and the deafening noise when we actually scored a goal and the whole place went silent because obviously we only had a couple of hundred, I think, up in the right up yeah, in the gods. Right. and you, you could hardly hear them. So that, that they that, could hardly see you. Yeah, that 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 side of it was a little bit surreal. Going, wow, that's got to be the quietest ever that we've ever scored a goal somewhere. And it was, as I said, it was just deafening. But you certainly knew you was in a special place. That compared to the San Siro, to me, was no com- no comparison. I thought the San Siro was great, looked good, and thought the pitch was poor. And they gave Marcel a, a lovely Marcel Dessay. Yeah, they gave him a great sort of standing ovation before the game. That was great, and it, it was really good. They all sang together. But you know, like as far as atmosphere and that, that wasn't on the same level as the camp now. You you've already found on and off, mate. That I did, I'm quite an excitable type. I get quite romantic about football, evangelical about football. And I remember when Pep was being successful as a as a coach, I was rabbiting on in broadcasts, sometimes on Spanish TV in Spanish and sometimes here, about this brilliant prince of a footballer. But I remember, I'm naming him now, Jordi Lardin, who was an Atletico Madrid, Espanol, Spain international, told me, oh, I don't recognise that guy you're talking about. He said, um, Pep would do anything to win. Stamp on your boot. He'd put his finger in your ear. Call your mother. Win, win, win. He said he was a bad bastard. This is Jordi Lardine's word, and he played against Pep and with Pep too as well. Any dark arts when you went head to head with Pep? No, no. I got probably just the one tackle that you mentioned. I remember he did. He went. I remember thinking, blind. I didn't know he. You never really saw him tackle. Well, I didn't really see him tackle in the, the the games that I'd seen him, but. I was a little bit surprised by it, but at the same time, it was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's what you... You're nothing, getting, Yeah, exactly. Getting to him. Yeah, and, uh, but at the same time, as I said, it, I remember getting through the game thinking, I can't get near him. Like, I just... I was near him as in vicinity and maybe close enough, but I just remember thinking I, I couldn't... There was never any really sort of second balls or little bouncy balls in and around him. It was all... Everything was just so controlled. Having seen him, so I can tell you now without having asked him what was in it. I can't get rid of this one. As yeah. you were saying, I can't get near it. Like if you look at the goals, three set play goals. You know, a penalty, yeah. the free yeah. kick which de- deflects off by the arrow, yeah. 
and I think there's a, a pet free kick in which you can hardly be held yeah. responsible for Danny, yeah. which I think maybe Luca might look back and say I should have. When Danny's on, we maybe yeah. should have just watched how we covered him a little bit. And, you know, set play goals. The last, the fifth goal comes from a nice little pass, but yeah. it's, it's gone by that stage already. And yeah. I would have said that 5-1 aside and, and going out, that was as special a performance, or as, as effective a performance as you gave against Xavi, who famously said that you were his most, his most difficult opponent. Yeah, t- yeah, toughest. As I said, that when Xavi kind of elevated to astronomical levels up after a few years after that game, it was... I remember someone pulling me at Millwall at the time and just said, look, we've got a, there's a camera career, you've got to do an interview for, I think it was Chavi's 10th, or I don't know, it was it was a celebration of something to do with Chavi, I don't know whether it was 10 they years call it or, the, in, in Spain when it went out, they called it the Jordi Morris hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I had to do an interview to then be sent just to say what it was like to play because he'd, as I said, he'd mentioned me being in like an annoying opponent, I think that he was saying that every, he felt that even if he was going to the toilet, I would have followed him, which is true. This is exactly what Luca asked me to do, and as I said, it is as much as you we're all footballers and we want to play the beautiful game, and I'd love for him to say, "Oh yeah, he was doing this with a ball, great passing, blah blah blah." But at the same time, when you have got someone of his stature mentioning you at all, as I said on camera when I was and I spoke to some like a Barcelona radio as well it was the same thing it's like I look at him now going do you know what I mean he's, a, totally he's a hero, like an absolute hero whether he's the same age as me or, or not you look at how he's played the game and you can't help but admire him so much he's stuck in he was really stubborn he, he, he often says because he had he had an offer very early on from Manchester United he had a very serious offer from AC Milan in 2008 he was just about out the door at Bayern Munich till Pep phoned him and said look can't do this without you and he talks about it now as just being mule stubborn yeah. why he didn't leave when you look at your moment with the contract offer and not staying do you wish you'd been stubborn and said no I want to tough it out here at Chelsea even though I feel a little bit disrespected or do you say that you know because I, I look at you now and I watch you know your career subsequently you've obviously had a happy successful playing career except that given your ability you probably should have run a midfield for England probably yeah. should have been sitting here uh, with X many years at Chelsea no, how do you I'm, view I'm, it with respect no, I'm the first one to say be fair I should have done a lot more in my career I don't I have hold no bones about it I should have done miles more I made mistakes off the pitch I made mistakes when talking about contracts are concerned the, the one at Chelsea was making a decision I was at because I, I could have left two or three times before that I did and I had had contract offers that was then taken away because of stuff that had been reported uh, two years before I left. And, and they said, look, we can't be seen to giving you a... There was a load of rubbish written about 9-11 that we'd done X, Y, Z, me, John, that pathetic. So they, the, the, a contract offer was taken away. They, I then got offered another contract that was less than what they offered me a year and a half before. And I'm like, how does that work? One, I'm uh, uh, further on in my career. I'm older, I'm playing, I'm, do, I'm doing well. And two, it was it was kind of like, I know what you're paying some of the, these boys that are coming in. By the way, the homegrown players, that's one thing I can't say. The homegrown players back in the day there, we got tucked right up as far as contracts were concerned. It's not like now where you, you, you get looked after quite nicely. So, as I said, it was a, a tough decision to come to because actually leaving the club that I supported and loved was a horrible decision. But... I was only going to leave because I'd actually met Graham Soonis and shook his hand on a deal to sign for Blackburn. Otherwise, I was going to sign, lump it, sign the deal that was measly compared to 
anybody else that was in my position at the, t- at the time at the club. Effectively, I was the longest serving player, so I felt I deserved... I didn't want parity at all. I wasn't asking for any that some of the big boys were on. I just wanted to be somewhere in between of where, as I said, I was going into like the 160, 170th game and they were offering me less than five times what people were getting who weren't even in. I'm looking at season 98, 99 here because I had a little check. You started at least 20, 21 games. You never lost once. Yeah, Never no, lost a single I mean, yeah, game. I mean, it, as I said, it was it, that side of it, but I still would have stayed. It was literally because I, I was always the midfielder, that, and and I I don't mind being. It was at a time when we played four in midfield, so the two central midfielders were was always. I'd always be like the third, you know. It was like why is he in Dimitteo, and then I would come in, and then then you'd see Deschamps come in, and he would play. My, ultimately, I paid a bit more than him. That's well, the no, one I couldn't no, understand. No, and to be fair, that's one I, I wasn't happy I've with. never understood it. And, and that was it, as period, yeah. He, At his he, stage he never, of his career, he then, never played. He never offered anything he close to what you he did. Didn't. But you'd Gus as well. Yeah, yeah Gus. Nicking goals. Left or he'd go in. Yeah, Gus was class, but, and he'd play in central midfield. So anyway, it was. But then, they, then we had Lance and Petit, and, and I'll be like, me and Lance played, I think it was something like six games together, and, and we'd won five and drawn one. And it was under Claudio, and I was like, I was on. I felt I was on fire. Lance was doing well, and and it was like Petit come back from injury, and I felt Petit was not the Arsenal player, no, um, he, at all, no. or maybe the Barcelona one. I, I, no, he, he didn't show it. Well, well, that's either. what I mean. No. And he wasn't a top player for Chelsea, and wasn't performing. And I thought, when your team's doing well, and I'm actually doing well myself, and I got I got left out again. And it was always I was that one. And don't get me wrong, it, I wouldn't mind playing I think my last year at Chelsea under Claudio I, I started 30 games so it's like in today's football for somebody starting 30 games you say oh that's that's not bad in, in, a, in a team that finished third in the league and qualified for the Champions League that's probably good going but it was the fact that I would get dropped there was one time where Claudio was playing Sam Della Bonner ahead of me and it was because he could speak Italian bottom line is Claudio that's no disrespect to Sam what a great lad and a good footballer but I knew that I, will, I should have been playing ahead of ahead of Sam. At the same time, as I said, I, I'd taken so many knocks like that, nothing to do with the, foot, the money then, but then when it does get to the money, and you've got to talk about money, because ultimately that's what a contract is, is your years that you're playing football for, but then you've got to agree on what the money is. And when, when they was offering me peanuts compared to everybody else, it was like, I'm actually asking for peanuts, but they're offering me even less. And as I said, Graham Soonis got in touch with me, agent, went to meet Graham Soonis. He said that I would play... Week in, week out, I'll be one of the first names on the team sheet. He's, in, he's another in the category of what we talked about, of Hoddle and Luca and Hula in his own way. I mean, an impressive, magnetic man, irrespective of his achievements as a footballer. Yeah. When you're in his presence, yeah. you kind of feel no, something exactly. special. And, 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 yeah, and that's, listen, when I watch Graham Soonis, I'm glued to the box now yeah, to see what, he, yeah, what yeah. he wants to say. For me, he was a legend of a player, a legend of a guy on the, on the box, but... I went to meet him and we had Andy Cole up top. Duffers was there, and and it was he said that he made a joke of like, blimey, we'd be nightmare on corners because we had Duffers, David Dunn, you and David Thompson. Remember Tomo from Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, and, and he went, Marvin Field, oh, it would be a nightmare from corners or something like that. And it was like, yeah, shook his hand, never got to money. I said, I, I don't want to get to money. My agent had told me, look, you'll get more at Blackburn than what Chelsea are offering you, and you're going to be playing week in week out and it was like the hardest thing for me ever to do but it was for the love of football really I was just going to go and play for my career and think right okay can can I be the one that 
might have a six out of ten a couple of games in a row and won't get dropped or yeah. like do you know what I mean one yeah, type of player sure. so I told Chelsea I weren't going to sign unless they offered me something reasonable and it kind of dragged on dragged on and Chelsea asked me look are you going to sign and I said no but it was because I'd shook hands with Graham soon as he said I wanted to meet you face to face I wanted to see the whites of your eyes and we're shaking on a deal like men and I was like okay I thought he is the manager for me and then from nowhere between the chief executive at Blackburn to my agent and Graham Soonis, it all fell through. I even rang Graham. I got a number for Ray Wilkins. Ray's a honey. Do you need you to get me Graham Soonis' <laughs> number? Because my agent was saying, no, there's no offer come through. They said it was supposed to be faxed through. And I rang Graham Soonis, spoke to him. He went, oh, I really respect this. You rung me. You've been an adult about it. I said, I'm worried that it's fell through because you've seen me play the last couple of weeks. I think I was crap for a couple of games. He said, no, no, not at all. He said, your agent hasn't returned the offer I then speak to my agent again there has been no offer so everything was lost and it, that kind of dragged on but when I spoke to Graham Soonis it was like he put me at ease he went don't worry son we'll get this done I said look even if I have to come up and do it myself forget agents forget chief executives money and all that I said I just want to I want to play the love of playing I have to say next minute nothing happened Chelsea are pushing me pushing me you got a sign it was like I ring Graham Soonis again about probably about a month later saying look the agent's still saying nothing's been sent through and I ring the number and it goes doo 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 <laughs> the number didn't ring so it was like I went from if as I said I'd already committed to Chelsea that I was going to leave Wisey was on to me he'd already left the club but he rang me up and was saying uh, where was he Leicester then no, or yeah Leicester, yeah, Leicester. Yeah. and he wound me up he went I've heard your deals fell through at Blackburn would you go Portsmouth with Harry and I said yeah because I'm I'm left in the lurch now. I ain't got a club. I've, he'd, he'd have loved Chelsea. He'd have let you play as Chelsea well. have just announced. Trevor Birch had just announced I'd, I'd left the club. So it was almost like I need to sort something out. Portsmouth was still in the Premier League, or they yep. just got promoted, I think. So rang Harry. He said, "Would you want to sign?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "All right. Well, what are you doing tomorrow?" It was like a Sunday. What are you doing tomorrow? I said, oh, "I'm going away on holiday. I've been waiting to before I go away on holiday. I need a holiday. When you get back, I'll sign you, son." And then he didn't get back to me either when I got back so um, as I said that's the funny side of football I can't tell you why it fell through or why they didn't reply to me why the number ch- I couldn't tell you any of that it was a shame because as I said when you're talking about Graham Soonis and Harry Redknapp yeah, they're two people that are obviously look up to and absolute legends of the game but it just in the way we've set out in these interviews previously it's, it's to try and get to the core of how beautiful football is and avoid all the rubbish that goes on with people calling each other out and stupid headlines about meaningless things and try and let football breathe a little bit but there's also no av- avoiding the truth that if you sit and watch House of Cards it's got nothing on football no football is is tricksy and dark sometimes and, and maybe the worst thing apart from being in general let down is often you're not left fully understanding why yeah there, there is that way and as I said it, it is a funny thing football because it can people can get in positions of power or or they feel that they might be spinning so many plates that they need to keep people on the on the back burner in case one drops and I'll say it no if you, you're one there are also a lot of cheats and idiots yeah there are there are I've met so many people who haven't pulled boots on who just have no clue whatsoever about what they're about yeah. that I think yeah. is a central part of why footballers are often need protected by very good agents or need to be very very savvy at a young age which yeah. is 
a big ass. Well, yeah, and, and I, yeah, it totally is. And it was it was certainly one of the mistakes that I made earlier. Is that I, I I had a couple of things wrote about me in the press and I, that were wrong. And I totally, being young and think and know it all, I totally switched off from the press. So. I wouldn't give interviews to any journos or nothing, absolutely anything I would give Dirty Looks. So we'd be on an England under-21 playing with like the first team. It was when the journos used to be yeah, in the middle. The the young, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'd be shouting like silly things out to the journos because I, I couldn't stand them because I felt every journo, journalist is yeah. that. But that was just a young know-it-all thinking, right, if you want to write this about me, I'm, I'm not going to do any. I used to tell Chelsea that... I'm not doing anything. No, I'm not speaking to anybody. Little did I know, I was just making it worse for myself. Is that if I actually spent time with some journalists who I suppose would look concentrated on just on the football, mm-hmm. they would see that I wasn't a, maybe as a bad lad that was maybe portrayed, or they could see that how I felt about football and I'm passionate about yeah. it. But it's been working with younger lads now. It's certainly something that you would you would hope that I would try and pass on sort of that that side to the, the silly little mistakes that I made as a, as a, as a player and that, like you said I have no bones I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say one second that I should have done a lot more in my career a lot more most of it I suppose is my fault but at the same time there were certain things that happened that were out of my control and didn't really go well for me but I'm, I'm happy to be now at a place where it is all about the football well it, it, I did say at the beginning of this that if you didn't look out I'd tuck the hind legs off a donkey and I know you've got a day to get on with but so we're coming to the end and I think that we've talked a lot about Barcelona and one of the things that I've noticed a great deal and it's not unique to them it's clearly true of like you, you saw samples of it at the bridge it's cl- true of the class of 92 but this thing about identity and maybe being brought through a club that you've been at since you were young or you're taught the club has a certain set of values or trains in a certain way what did you talk about winning habits or winning ideas is the phrase winning behaviours winning behaviours younger boys yeah you're part of a structure now at Cobham um, where there's a determined effort t- to make a certain sector of the coaching staff either related to Chelsea or locally brought up and also a percentage of the kids locally recruited to try and... Am I right in thinking that you're trying to build through eras which will hit first team with a significant number of people who care a lot about not just being well paid or how well they're developing, but care a lot about the club and the badge and the identity and the fact of playing at Stamford Bridge. Is that part of what's going on with you and other coaches and the strategy at Chelsea now? Yeah, most most definitely from, obviously, recruitment. There's, I mean, even our Youth Cup game the other, other night. No, it was a Champions League game, under against Ajax, I think. All 11, I think, of our players were can play for England. Most of them have been at the club from... Under eights, do you know what I mean? So that's radical. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's us in a, an under nineteen Champions League game against Ajax in the quarterfinals. Do you know what I mean? So you vote Ajax, Ajax. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we do. We actually win the game, and now we're in the semi-finals. But there's plenty of instances that, that we're, we're certainly confident that we have players that are good enough to play in the first team, and ones that have been in the system for a long time. Chelsea Academy now is a lot different place than it was than when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So granted, I, I was. I was lucky to be blessed with some really good coaches and that, but the infrastructure and the, the facilities and the thought process that goes into their development now is on a whole new scale. And like you said, we have we have a way of playing. We try and add to it each year. If we have a new first team manager, we obviously it's, it'll be beneficial to us that we don't change our philosophy or change our way of playing just because our first team manager is different. But we do have to have dialogue, and we do need to know 
what their thoughts are and on players, but also the team side of it and uh, what type of player that they would maybe look for or, or things that they think certain players should be doing. And and we try and add to it all the time. I think that like football is always evolving and the coaches that are, at, like you said, that Cobham at the minute is probably a third of them are former Chelsea players like with a third that have come through the academy coupled with a third that have maybe other backgrounds in other clubs or or even other sports the opportunities that are are there for the kids is obviously massive to see but there is a lot of work that that goes on behind the scenes and particularly with people like Neil Bath who's in charge of the academy who's for me been fantastic for the club and what the for us as an academy I think we're one of the best in the world at the minute we you don't get to win as many youth cups and yeah, leagues under twenty one. Big winning record, Champions eh? League. Yeah, and, and to be fair, the Champions League. This, you, you, it's new, uh, the UFA, Champions League. Yeah, youth yeah, league. Yeah, you've lifted. I mean, that's yeah. We're the holders of that last year. That like, I mean, we've won the under twenty one Premier League. We've won the under eighteen Southern Section two years on the spin. But it's not only that. It's the way in which we're playing. Some of the football that we've played over the past few years is. It's been outstanding. It. Is it possible from the little I've seen that it's a blend? Of the kind of football you and I have been talking about over the last hour, but also with an understanding of what the British game is like too, because yep. that hybrid it's important. is going to dominate the world. If yep. you ever make that happen, technique, touch, using the ball, keeping the ball, but also with our speed and yeah. power and our aggression. Well, that, well, that's the ultimate goal. I think we need to do that, particularly the fact that we are in England. We can't do exactly the same thing as what people are doing no. in Spain. But at the same time, you do take... There's been plenty of videos or anything and things like that, clips that me and Joe Edwards have put on for our under 18s of Barca and Bayern Munich coupled with the you'd, you'd put on the stuff from our own first team so we're trying to get a good blend but like it's the it's the toughest thing to do I think is one to get so many players into a first team when the manager changes so often and or when they just can go out and buy it's certainly harder to do at Chelsea, but it's something that we're all striving for and, and something that we're there's a lot of work going into. And we do believe that there's a current crop of players between 21 to 17, I'd say, that have got a real, real good shot. Below that, obviously, there's plenty more coming through, but I'm just saying that there are literally a good bunch of players from the age of 17 to 21 that could most definitely cut it. You've loaned one of them out to La Liga, to Betis, not it? Charlie Masunda, Masunda outstanding yeah. talent he's got a, he's got a lot of ability yeah, and, and when caught talk, my eye quickly when we're talking about uh, small players and, and gifted players he's certainly up there with one of the best that I've seen as far as the use of the ball and his body movements and talking about going past players he's he's certainly gifted but he's one of many there, there are certainly a, a good few that don't get me wrong if they was at other, other teams they might have played quite a handful of first team appearances at the minute but that's the downside of when you want to come through at one of the top top clubs although this season we haven't shown it in the first team if you want to come through the academy at, like the top teams it's, it's going to be certainly harder than it is at the, the teams lower down there's a link I can't um, before I uh, let you stop talking um, there's a link I can't ignore in that when people gave Pep and Xavi and Iniesta their chances at Football Club Barcelona was because of the uh, Cruyff philosophy. And um, although this won't go out close to Johan's death, um, he, he died this morning uh, while we were both coming to this interview. And um, you mentioned the Dream Team and um, I wondered what it is that we can say jointly about Cruyff and his impact on our lives as people who love football and, and, and his team caught your eye you know, as a youngster. 
What, what have we What have we lost in, in Cruyff as far as you're concerned? One thing's for certain is that we'll never lose his impact on what he's had, <laughs> that he's had on <laughs> football is because it will, it will stay forever. I mean, when, you, when the, the football and the way teams play is so beautiful, if you like, that it will be, yes, there'll be different forms and it will be slightly changed a little bit to suit individuals or to suit countries or whatever. But you can't help but think that as far as impacts on football and philosophies and people like that people that I looked up to and people I re- read books on when you're talking about your Guardiolas there it's in their DNA through through your Cruyffs and as I said as much as he might have I didn't see him as a player I wasn't lucky enough to to see him in the flesh or but I can still feel and and have felt the influence of a Johan Cruyff from and I'm a 37 year old London boy do you know what I mean so it's it, like something yeah, yeah he, he's he's reached the football world globally and it's, it's, it's a sad it's a sad day for football but as I said the lucky side of it that we have got is that Johan Cruyff will always live on because you'll see it in the, some of the beautiful football that gets played bloody hell that's not just um, very poetic but it's cheered me up <laughs> it's genuinely uh, cheered me up and I can't leave you then without the last one I sent is it feasible and it's not embarrassing to talk about aspirations if maybe you might have had more out of your playing career do you think that that might be a bridge to maybe finding exactly that level of achievement as, as a manager one day taking charge of, let's say it you know fingers crossed because it would be right for you in every sense it's Jody Morris Chelsea manager but is that your aspiration that um, rather than just being part of the fabric of coaching in England that one day you, you lead a club or I'm ambitious I, I, even when I gave interviews when I was younger I wanted to be a player I wanted to play for Chelsea I want. I want to be a manager as well. I want to be. I want to coach. I want to coach at the highest level. I want to see how high I can go. And I have. I have a couple of people in football that I've probably moaned to over the years, or we've had chats, maybe like this, maybe not being recorded. But um, we've had <laughs> we've had chats about football that people in the game that I, I look up to or real real close friends of mine. And I've I've said exactly that. What you said. I've I've said that I didn't. I didn't get the most out of my playing career that I should have. Um, but. I want to try and make bloody sure that I get the most out of my coaching or manage stroke managerial career. It, I understand that the manager side of it's a, uh, a while away yet, but I'm certainly enjoying the, the fact that I'm on the ladder. I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky and privileged to be at a special place in Chelsea, not only to have played there, but to coach there now is the beginning of a ladder that is ultimately another dream of mine. And fingers crossed, one day I might be sitting in the dugout a little bit more often than FA Youth Cup games. I've got no doubt um, with the talent you've got and your uh, impressive ability to convey things that that's going to happen. This has been, if anything, more enjoyable, more impressive than I'd anticipated. It's been really good of you to share so much time with us. It's nice to uh, sit around the table, uh, the three of us, with somebody who loves football as much as we do. Jody, um, Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed.